Welcome to the Insurgents Podcast with Frank Viola. And he's brought a friend. This is the podcast that supplements Frank's groundbreaking book, Insurgents, Reclaiming the Gospel of the Kingdom, which is shaking up the Christian world. You can find out details about the book at insurgents.org. Sit back, open all four ears, physical and spiritual, and join the insurgents. Here's Frank. Welcome, welcome to yet another edition of the Insurgents Podcast. I have Nikki V with me once again, and we're talking about Practical Lessons in Kingdom Living Part 3. Yes, and I can tell all your listeners that you're making great progress because you have removed your New York Yankees hat. All right. Three cheers for not wearing the hat. (laughs) We're just riffing on lessons we're learning about living in the kingdom, particularly as it relates to being more like Christ and letting Christ form himself in us, letting the Spirit do that work of conformity to Jesus. And one of the things we talked about off air is the fact that Jesus, his disposition has many elements to it. We talked about those in previous podcasts, but one of them is he is mysterious. He's not predictable. If Jesus is not surprising you, then you're really not growing in him. We see this in the Gospels all throughout. He's unpredictable. He's an untamed lion. But he's also mysterious in our own lives as he interacts with us. He doesn't do what we expect him to do the way we expect him or even hope he does. But he does all things well, as Scripture says. And He's working on levels that we just do not understand. His ways are higher than ours. But if we become more like Christ, there will be a certain aspect of his character. I would say there will be many aspects of his character that are formed in us. And one is we too will not be predictable. There'll be a certain mystique about us, not contrived, you know, not artificial. But as we're led by the Spirit, there will be surprises in how we respond to things as well. We, we know that's one of the earmarks of God working through us, Christ living through us, is that there's a certain amount of mystery. And that's one of the things that people found attractive in him, is that he wasn't typical. You couldn't cage him. He would surprise you, sometimes even disappoint you. And yet later, as you look back, he did what needed to be done. That's good. Someone wrote me a letter, and he was just talking about the furnace of preparation and purification. And I think it's beautiful what he said. I'll just read an excerpt from it. The process of preparation and purification will eliminate any hindrances in you while also opening your eyes to see with increased understanding and insight. The inner work in you is the Holy Spirit's objective. It's dark because it's night. Weeping endures during the night when we cry out to see, but joy comes in the morning because we can see when the light comes and the long night is over. There is a sweetness of the love of God that he's preparing for you that will transcend anything you've ever known. It will permeate all you are regardless of what you're saying or doing. It's a place you've seen glimpses of and desired. He's taking you there 
you're dealing with the resistance from the kingdom of darkness, but your focus is to be light. And I think those words will apply to anybody listening who is going through a trial, a difficult time, a period of pain and suffering. Because these words have the weight of eternity in them. They have the mark of Christ on them, the mark of truth. Amen. I think that um, when it comes to this matter of, of being in a difficult place and then seeking God for a solution or for um, an answer, we have to be careful about what it is exactly that, that we are pursuing. It is possible to, and very natural and normal, to be wanting an answer and a solution to our problem. But if that's not forthcoming, then, then we can make a pretty safe assumption that God is also after something else besides just merely an answer and a solution. Oswald Chambers said, whenever we are insistent that God answers prayer, we're off track. The meaning of prayer is that we get a hold of God, not of the answer. Mm. And that sounds like it might be a minor discrepancy, but it actually is a huge, huge difference between seeking an answer and seeking God himself. You can get an answer and then go back off on your own again. That's right. Many people did that in Jesus' ministry. They got the healing they were looking for, mm. got the deliverance they were looking for, got the provision they were looking for, and then off they went back to their own willful, individual, independent existence again. That's a good point. Another lesson that I'm learning and believe I've learned to some degree is this quest for certainty that I mentioned in a previous podcast. I want to enlarge on it. But certainty... Being certain of an outcome, being certain of a result, can become an idol that replaces yeah. authentic trust in the Lord. It can actually become the quest for certainty, spiritually counterproductive, because it can shortchange trust and a life of faith. And the moment-by-moment moment reliance and dependence on the Lord that God calls us to. Psalm 62.8 says, Trust in him at all times, you people. Pour out your heart before him. God is a refuge for us. Trust him at all times. And when we're not certain, it's difficult to trust. But yet trust in the Lord is the strongest when certainty is dim or it's non-existent. And certainty really is an illusion. I mean, we can't really be certain of anything in life. You know, I'm not talking about viewpoints, but our faith increases, it grows, it flourishes when we're trusting God at the deepest level with a willingness to let go of mm. having to be certain, especially when it comes to the outcome. Mm -hmm. Hebrews 11.6 says it's impossible to please God without faith. There is a song by a musician named Jaden Lavick. I'll read the words. It's pretty interesting. I look around and what can I do? This place is unfamiliar and new. So I try to look beyond what's right in front of me. Is hope to be found? How can this be true? Comfort came and left in such a hurry. So that once on the other side of this tragedy, you wake up to find that you're right where you're supposed to be. Trapped in uncertainty. I like that phrase. Trapped wow. in uncertainty. Each day is a mystery. You wake up to find that you're right where you're supposed to be. The past is unveiled and you see right where you're meant to be. Hmm. And we 
go through life. God brings trials into our lives. He doesn't tempt us. The enemy is the one who tempts us, often in the trial. Right. But he does bring the trial. And the enemy's at work in the trial. You know, there is a place where we resist the devil, and he will flee from us. But at the same time, we are to humble ourselves under the mighty hand of God, that he would lift us up. Mm. Yeah. And when we can't trace his hand, we can certainly trust his heart, because his heart is always for our good. Here are some interesting points, helpful points, about letting go which is something that I mentioned just a moment ago. To let go doesn't mean to stop caring. It just means that I can't control another person right. or the outcome. Right. To let go is not to cut myself off. It's the realization that I can't fix the problem. To let go is to admit powerlessness, which means the result and the outcome is not in my hands. To let go is not to care for, but to care about. To let go is not to fix, but to be supportive. Hmm. To let go is not to be in the middle, arranging the outcome, strategizing for the outcome, but to allow God to affect the result. To let go is not to deny, but to accept. To let go is to fear less and to love and trust God more. That's good, Frank. Yeah, I... The only thing that we are guaranteed in any trial, any difficulty that we're facing in life, the only guarantee that we're made from the Lord is that we can get Jesus out of that situation. Yes, amen. We can acquire the Lord. So we're given an assurance that the end of a trial is an increase of Christ Jesus. Mm. within us but sometimes what we want instead of that are answers yes but what we need is the lord uh sometimes what we're looking for instead of some is some type of a contractual agreement with god you know a transaction Mm. yes when what he's seeking is is that intimacy with us and that formation of his son in us and Mm. so we're oftentimes in a crisis asking all the wrong questions Mm. And seeking all all the wrong stuff. And um, just kind of in connection with that, something we haven't brought up, is this idea of principles. uh, Scriptural principles or divine principles or whatever you want. Kingdom principles. And I'm not a big principle person, but some Christians absolutely love, love, love principles. And uh, even, even feel like, you know, kind of one of our main activities is to uh, read the scriptures and discover the principles there within, i.e. the secrets. Mm. And then and then we apply those and we get the desired outcomes. Mm. And there are entire movements and teachers and teachings based on this kind of thing. From my vantage point, a lot of that, I'm not going to make a sweeping condemnation of that, but from my vantage point... I think one of the factors at play in all of this principle business is this still this part of our fallen nature that still wants to be God or play God or however you want to work it so that we can engineer 
the outcome that we prefer. And sometimes we think if we can discover and master these principles, we can uh, kind of corner God into acting and and carrying out our will, even though we're disguising it as his will by throwing one of his principles mm. uh, back at him. Uh, you know, if I, if I say this or if I recite this or if I do this or if I believe this or if I give that, then God's going to have to do this. Mm. Kind of a cause and effect kind of thing that we can trap God with. But the problem with that approach is what happens when we do X but he doesn't do why. Yeah, right. <laughs> now we have a second major crisis in our already existing situation because often he doesn't do why and he will not do why. And then when he doesn't comply with our wishes or worse, what we think is a principle that he's supposed mm. to be handcuffed by, we wind up shattered, we wind up disillusioned, we wind up with our faith shipwrecked on, on the rocks and I think it's important to, to kind of point out that I don't think that Jesus acted on divine principles. I don't think Paul did that. I don't think any of the 12 apostles did that. I think that instead of them being driven by principles, these were men who were living by an indwelling Lord. And... That's different than living by principles because Absolutely. I can have a cold, distant relationship if I'm acting on principles. But if I'm acting out of intimacy with God, mm. um, then I'm living by another's life and I'm living by, by their cue and their first motion that I'm seeing. Mm. Um, there may be principles mixed in with all of that because God's nature is so consistent, but... That's not what I'm living by. I'm not living by a piece of information that I've discovered in the scripture or something like that. Um, even if I can detect that type of a thing there, it's because I am living by another life form. And I think God's constantly trying to bring us back to that place yes. in the midst of, of these trials and tribulations. Um, I think one of the scariest scriptures that I've ever read in the entire Bible is in Job when... The Lord says to Satan, <laughs> have you considered my servant fill in the blank? Mm, yeah, your name, thanks, your name may lot. be in that thanks blank lot, sometimes. God. I appreciate the compliment. And, and so uh, <laughs> you said earlier that it is sometimes that God initiates or permits the trial. Absolutely. Um, or even in that case, almost goading yeah. the enemy sure. into some type of action toward us. That is not for our destruction, brothers and sisters. The Lord is has one goal with us. He is conforming us to the image of mm. his beloved, and he is bringing us through these things. The trial is not the end of the story. It's just a part of the story. The end is, is a greater intimacy with him and a conformity in character. And so all of this is part of this mysterious, unpredictable nature yes, of God that you right. were talking about, right. you know, the, the Aslan who is untamable. That's right. Um, and that's who we belong to. And the sooner that we can get comfortable with that, um, maybe maybe the more we can enjoy the, the adventure a little bit. Yeah, that's very good. Because you're talking about the difference between a relational posture and attitude versus a tactical posture and attitude where we're applying these principles 
wherein we don't need to have a relationship with God. We just dig out the principles and apply them. You have a relationship with the principle. Yeah, exactly. And this whole business of surrender, acceptance, and letting go, it's all counterintuitive. The life of Jesus is counterintuitive. It's not what you would do in your natural mind, your natural instinct, your natural power. It's interesting. There's a... uh, there's a thing that the Navy SEALs do in their training called drown proofing. And what happens is their uh, hands are bound behind their back, their feet are tied together, and they're dumped into a nine-foot deep pool. And their job is to survive for five minutes. Mm. Now, what's interesting is that many of them struggle as they're being tossed into the water. They're panicking. They're trying their best <laughs> to fight the situation some of them lose consciousness because that's the natural inclination it's to panic and it's to try to maneuver and it's to try to get out of the situation and some of them have died during the exercise simply because they were fighting in a very natural intuitive way and the fact of the matter is to survive the drown proofing it's completely counterintuitive The more you struggle to keep your head above water, the more likely you are to sink. So the way that you survive this is you don't fight it. You let yourself go to the bottom, you let go, and then you kick yourself off as you hit the bottom. So it's a very passive way of handling it. It's letting go, basically. Counterintuitive. And I think that when we're in situations where there's danger, um, there's pressure, you know, our first impulse is to do what the natural thing is to do, and that's to put our hands on it and try to struggle and try to fight and try to fix and try to create a certain outcome where the opposite is true in that scenario. And in scenarios of real life, it's to let go, it's to surrender, it's to accept. And here's something I've learned about this whole process that the more we want something the worse the anxiety that's created when we're chasing a certain outcome we are creating anxiety for ourselves the counterintuitive thing is simply to accept what is to let it be to quote paul mccartney uh (laughs) in the hands of god not as a tactic or a strategy but to put it in god's loving hands The attempt to control, even by thinking about the problem in your head and trying to strategize tactically a good result, is actually moving us away from a good outcome. We're actually creating the exact opposite effect that we want. In other words, the more you want something, the more you don't get it. The more you worry about that which you can't control, the more anxiety you have. And anxiety is a killer, Nikki V. It's a killer of oneself who has it, and it's a killer in relationships. More relationships have been broken by anxiety than we can count. We don't have to know the future. We can rest the future on God's lap. He knows everything. He's in the beginning. He is in the end. And anxiety then really becomes our creation. There's a thought that caused it. All of our feelings come from the way we think, right? So if we think 
a certain way. If we step back and observe the situation with an attitude that I can't fix this, I'm not even going to try to, and I don't need to have answers. I'm going to totally rely on the Lord. That's what brings peace, and that's what actually allows faith to operate by bringing God into the situation to do what only he can do. There's an article I read about joy and joyful people, and it had some good insights, and I'll just read some excerpts from it. God is writing your story, and loving God is the only love that we really need in our lives. Now, that doesn't mean that you know, the love of a spouse or a child or a parent is, is not good, healthy, and, and something we should desire. But at the end of the day, it's God's love and our love for God that's going to go into eternity. The people who are joyful are not concerned with worldly pleasure, with things that are temporary, or people who decide not to love us anymore. As long as we depend on the Lord, we'll always be reassured will always be satisfied to some degree, will always wake up every morning thankful for life, grateful for everything in it, even the hardships. This is how we enjoy life. It's how we stay calm, strong, and patient in times of pain and distress. And this is how we heal. So again, it's counterintuitive. The most joyful people are those who trust God blindly because that's how they see the light. This is a great, great lesson, and it's a lesson that many Christians, I for one, would be exhibit A, have not learned <laughs> year after year after year. I'm only learning now, but thank God that we're learning it, you know? That's good. Romans 8.28 is still in the Bible, thank the Lord, <laughs> that in everything, no matter what happens to us, no matter what situation we find ourselves in, a sovereign God has allowed it, approved of it, and he is going to use it to write straight with crooked lines. He's going to use it for our good in the end. That's both good and bad things. Yes. All things, all things work together for good to those who love God and are called to his eternal purpose, which is to conform them to the image of Jesus. And we talked about what that image is, among many other things. That's excellent. And we have a brain and we can use our brain. It doesn't need to be turned off, but there's wisdom in understanding that at some point in your circumstances or in your trial, you have reached a place that has moved beyond your ability to understand and comprehend all the ways of the Lord as he's working in your life. And this is, for me, where Proverbs 3, 5, and 6 comes in really continuously in my life. At that point, when the working of God and the dealings of God and the perplexities of your situation and the length of time that you have been in this situation and all the other variables that are, are causing uh, the situation to exceed what you're mm. able to comprehend and make sense of, then you move to this passage. Trust in the Lord mm. with all your heart, not with your mind, Yes, with all of your heart, trust in the Lord, and also lean not on your own understanding yes, because amen. at some point the workings of God surpass 
your understanding mm. and in all your ways yield to him and he will make your path straight he will straighten out the crooked yes the appearingly crooked writing Mm. And the the crazy zigzags that seem to be dragging you all over the place, he will straighten all those paths out. So, it's a little tiny Bible verse with a whole large containment of wisdom in it, especially mm. when you reach a certain point in some of your your trials and your difficulties. And I wanted to mention one other thing as you were talking. I couldn't help but think of this ver verse as well, which is I think one of the most universally misapplied passages of scripture in western christendom and that is that passage about i can do all things through christ to strengthen me and so often that passage is used as a philosophical mantra where i have decided what i want for my own life i yes. have a goal i have an agenda i have something that's going to make me happy or something that's going to make me accomplished and it could be spiritual or earthly sports is a big one right and you've but you've made this decision about what it is and now here comes jesus your life coach who is going to loan you the strength so you can do all things Whatever it is that you've decided to do, you can do that through Christ who strengthens you to do it. And that sounds good and right and Christian on some initially superficial level. But the real implication in that passage is you can do all things that Jesus Christ has called you to do through his strength. And that's the qualification in that passage. And, and so it's not that I can achieve this, that, or the other goal that I've set for myself with the help of Jesus. Mm. No, it's more like, and if you look at the context in which that passage is written and where Paul's writing it from, I can mm. suffer mm. through Christ who strengthens me. I can let go mm -hmm. through Christ who strengthens me. I can die mm -hmm. through Christ who strengthens me. I can lose Mm -hmm. through Christ who strengthens me. Yes, it includes positive things as well. But the real issue in a passage like that is, what is he calling you to? Mm -hmm. What is he bidding you to come do in that moment? And yes, he will supply the mm -hmm. strength for that. He's not going to just randomly supply the strength for whatever it is that you've right. decided you want to do. <laughs> and so that's a really important distinction to make. There, he was talking about being in a Roman prison on house arrest, chained to a guard in very bad situations. In the whole context there, what he says before it is, I've learned the secret of being content in everything. I've learned how to live with nothing and I've learned how to abound. And yet I have learned to be content. I can do all things, whatever the circumstances. Covers the whole spectrum. Yeah, because Christ strengthens me to be content in every situation. I love the passage that you read there out of Proverbs 3, verse 5 and 6. Trust in the Lord with all your heart. Lean not on your own understanding. and all your ways, submit to him, and he will make your path straight. Verse 7 is telling. It says, do not be wise in your own eyes. Fear hmm. the Lord and shun evil. So that's part of the whole package is 
we get into trouble when we are wise in our own eyes. We think we have the answer, we can fix it, we can apply our problem-solving skills. And yet, when we do that, we're really not trusting in the Lord. We're trusting in our own understanding. We're not yeah. letting go, right? Yeah. And just to make a brief comment about verse 7 there that you just read about being wise in your own eyes. In our culture, who who is wise in their own eyes? Britney Spears? <laughs> Teenagers. Oh. <laughs> Teenagers are wise in their own eyes, and then they have this very rude awakening in their 20s that may, maybe they weren't so wise. But the spiritual counterpart to that is if you really do believe that you're wise in your own eyes, you may be stuck in spiritual teenagerdom. And the Lord is seeking to bring us out of spiritual infancy spiritual childhood and he's also seeking to bring us out of spiritual teenagerdom into spiritual mm. adulthood and maturity and you may wind up taking a few thumps in life yeah. from being wise in your own eyes oh. and then you get to that other place where you realize that the lord possesses all the wisdom mm. and uh and we're we're leaning on him I love this uh, story in Second Chronicles 20. It's about Jehoshaphat, the king. And what's so fascinating about it, there's elements to it that just speak loudly to any person in a, in a pinch if they're going through a trial or tribulation. One of the interesting things is that in Second Chronicles 19, we're told that Jehoshaphat sinned against the Lord. So part of this he brought on himself, right? And sometimes trials are like that. You bring it on yourself. That's never happened to me. <laughs> <laughs> well, it's happened to a lot of us plebes <laughs> who are less fortunate. But he sins against the Lord. That's important to remember. But God is merciful. And in chapter 20 of Second Chronicles, right after that statement about his fault, a great multitude comes against Jehoshaphat and the people. And it says in the text, Jehoshaphat was afraid. Well, what did he do? He set his face to seek the Lord. And he proclaimed a fast throughout all of Judah. And Judah assembled to seek help from the Lord. From all the cities of Judah, they came to seek the Lord. Three times it's mentioned that they're seeking the Lord. So they know where the solution is. They got their faces turned in they the right direction. They got their faces turned in the right direction. Amen. And Jehoshaphat stands in the assembly and he says, O Lord God of our fathers, you rule over all the kingdoms of the nations. In your hand are power and might so that none is able to withstand you. That's a statement of faith. He's reminding himself as he prays who God is. And then he mentions the deliverance out of Egypt. He mentions Abraham being the friend of God. And he says, if disaster comes upon us and we cry out to you in our affliction, you will hear and save. Another statement of faith. And then he says this, this is a statement of humility. Humble yourself under the mighty hand of God. For we are powerless against this great horde that is coming against us. We don't know what to do but our eyes are on you. Here's the storm, but we're going to put our eyes on Jesus. And the Lord says, Do not be afraid. Do not be dismayed at this great horde 
for the battle is not yours but God's. Mm. Let those words sink in. The battle that you're in, brothers and sisters, is not yours, it's the Lord's. Stand firm and hold your position and see the salvation of the Lord on your behalf. And then he repeats, do not be afraid, do not be dismayed. And they fell down before the Lord and they worshiped the Lord. And they stood up to praise the Lord, the God of Israel, with a very loud voice. And Jehoshaphat stood and said, Hear me, believe in the Lord your God, and you will be established. Believe his prophets, and you will succeed. Mm. And as they went before the army, they said, Give thanks to the Lord, for his steadfast love endures forever. And when they began to sing and praise, the Lord set an ambush against the men of Ammon, Moab, and Mount Seir, who had come against Judah. So God really did fight the battle. They sought him. They fasted, they exercised their faith and trust in him. They knew that the battle was his, not theirs. They laid down their problem-solving skills, their swords, and they left it up to God and they worshiped him. And the Lord responded by defeating the enemy. And that's a great story because it has so much in it when it comes to when we're in a battle, when we're in a situation uh, that looks hopeless. The Lord would say unto us, don't be afraid, trust me, and you will see my salvation. However way that looks. However way that looks. The way Paul had worded that in one of his letters in the New Testament was, having done all, Mm. stand. Yes. It's not that we're completely passive. Right. Um, Being passive is not necessarily a sign of, of trusting in the Lord. That's right. Um, sometimes passivity is just just a paralysis, but you do what you can do. Um, you you have a certain amount of strength, you have a certain amount of insight, you have a certain amount of of ability, and you employ it to some degree, but you don't trust in it. That's right. The Amen. trust is in the Lord. So you exercise and do your part, and then having done all, you stand and see the salvation of God, and you can rest in that. Mm. Amen. And that doing your part really is a spiritual part, Nikki V. It's it's fasting. It's praying. It's seeking the Lord. It's declaring His truth. It's reminding yourself of His promises and His victories in the past. It's taking a stand on what is true, not what you see or feel or hear. This is a spiritual activity. It's a spiritual way of responding. Yeah. Because you're, you're hanging on to God on the one hand, but you're letting go of the outcome on the other. And it's a paradox, but it's one that we live in when it comes to being in a situation that looks hopeless. Amen. That's great. So everything you just listed there or everything you just said there is not an attempt to manipulate the circumstances or the situation. The closest we can get to doing that is by prayer. Yeah. But prayer to the Lord to do what it is that he's going to do to alter the circumstances or the situation rather than attempting to take matters into our own hands. So all that spiritual activity is available to us. So you don't have to sit around helpless and hopeless. Mm. It's just that the activity that you're doing is not what is done in the natural fallen realm where there is all the activity to control and to coerce and Mm. to manipulate. It's a completely different kingdom that Mm. we're living in with different tools, which is why Paul makes that statement just in regards to, you know, spiritual warfare. We are not 
wrestling with flesh and blood. He's trying to get us to go to the heart of the matter rather than to the physical side of things. And so often these things manifest in a physical way, but the, the, the turning point of the battle is actually invisible. So those are, those are good. That's a good list of tools so that we do have something to do. <laughs> that's right. <laughs> and far more effective to do those things than to take the, the more physical route and trying to manipulate an outcome. Yep. Well, this ties into an earlier podcast we did on waiting on the Lord. And I think that um, we should end here. But I just want to remind new listeners that this is part three of practical lessons in kingdom living on this podcast. So if you're new to it, go back and listen to parts one, two, and three. And then all the other 10,000 episodes that we have done with various and sundry personalities in our conversations. It's 10,003. Yeah. All right. But hey, I'm still learning. I'm Nikki V. I'm still learning. All right, folks, we'll see you next time. Be good. If you enjoyed this episode, please subscribe to the Insurgents Podcast and give it a five-star review on iTunes. This will help others find it. Also, you can join Frank's unfiltered email list at frankviola.org and receive encouragement, challenges, and insights connected to the gospel of the kingdom. Remember, the insurgence has begun. Don't miss it.